0: Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer has now introduced a new Democrat program called A Better Deal. Weeping hysterical tears, Schumer delivered a speech to the group of (laughs) (laughs) soggy stuffed animals he keeps hidden in his bedroom closet, saying, quote, We have called our new program A Better Deal in the hope the word deal would make people think of Donald Trump so they might like us for being him instead of hating us for being who we really are, unquote. The sobbing Schumer went on to say, quote, when you lose an election like the one we lost in 2016, you can't blame James Comey or the Russians or anyone else. You have to look in the mirror unflinchingly and blame Hillary Clinton, whom you can see behind you in the mirror trying to sneak away before anyone blames her, unquote. In a position paper that the segment of the Democrat Party that is called the Democrat Party released to the segment of the Democrat Party that is called the news media, the Democrat Party Democrat Party told the news media Democrat Party how it would now attempt to appeal to working class Americans who voted for Donald Trump rather than to the Democrat base, which is six guys who wear dresses and an 80-year-old homeless man who agreed to vote 17 times in return for a bottle of Jim Beam. The position paper outlined a program whereby the Democrats would raise the minimum wage so businesses would hire fewer people, then raise taxes on the businesses so that there would be fewer businesses, then use the taxes from the businesses that are no longer there to give welfare to the people who aren't working because Democrats raise the minimum wage and there are no more businesses. Falling to his knees and pounding his chest as he wept, Schumer told his dripping security blanket, quote, capitalism isn't working. Sure, it's made much of the world richer than it's ever been, but it isn't working because it doesn't let us steal middle class people's money in order to buy votes from the poor with useless programs that foster dependency, illegitimacy and crime. We need to have more government involvement in the economy so we can drive those cool 50s cars they have in Cuba and Venezuela and stage fun activities like food riots and show trials, unquote. Noting the success of Donald Trump's Make America Great Again campaign, Schumer said that Democrats would try to catch some of that magic by wearing orange wigs and pretending to love the country. We want to make a better deal with working class Americans, Schumer said. The deal is we'll pretend not to hate you and you'll vote for us and then we'll hate you again. President Trump responded to the Democrats' new plan by humiliating all his friends, firing all his political allies, and hiring the guy from the hot dog stand outside of Trump Tower to run the new Department of Relish. So, on the Republican side, everything's pretty much the same as usual. Trigger warning I'm Andrew Clavin, and this is The Andrew Clavin Show. I go hunky dunky, life is tickety boo. Birds are winging, also singing hunky dunky. Dipsy Topsy The world is a bitty zing It's a wonderful hooray, day Hooray, hooray It makes me want to sing Oh, hooray, hooray Oh, hooray, hooray All right, Austin, you dozed off at the teleprompter what, what was that about? <laughs> like, I thought, wait a minute, these words aren't moving Now I won't know what to say I was so excited <laughs> to start it on time right? Your chats are on the phone. I was wondering, now I write these things, so I'm sometimes wondering, can I remember it? No, at <laughs> all. Nah, nah, no. All right, it's mailbag day. Hooray! Yay. That was great. Now, see, you made up for it with an yeah. absolutely great woo. If you want to get your questions in the mailbag, you have to subscribe to thedailywire.com. Then I can answer your questions. The answers are guaranteed 100% correct and will change your life on occasion for the better. But you got to subscribe. Lousy. Ten bucks a month lousy 10 bucks a month if you subscribe for a year which is only a lousy 100 bucks a month you get the leftist tears mug which will keep your leftist tears cold hey by the way while i'm asking you for things let me ask you for a favor if you like the show if you enjoy the show go on itunes and give us some good reviews you know it's real people don't think about it they i get a lot of really nice letters you send me nice letters and it's embarrassing for me to write back in your letters and say you know put in a good review on itunes so i'll just do it here and just embarrass myself here uh it's true it's true for my books as well the great good thing if you liked it go on amazon and give it a good review they really help it really promotes promotes the show so i have to talking speaking of my books i have to say i was speaking i was thinking about watching the incredible it was just an incredible shakespearean drama taking place in washington dc and i was thinking about a book i wrote called empire of lies which is one of my favorites of my books and i a book that i felt Got, it, it did well. It, it sold okay, but it 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 got it kind of ignored. It was a openly conservative book, and the book I'd written before, when people didn't know I was conservative, got something like three hundred major reviews. 300 review, reviews in 300 major venues this book got one review in a major venue and i was called a right wing crackpot okay and i thought the, the problem with it is i think the book is really good i think you know it's, i think it's a really complex book it is not just blindly conservative it's about a conservative but it talks about his problem but it's called empire of lies because there's an exchange in it where he goes and he talks to a college student and the college student explains to him why people get destroyed when they stand up against the left wing machine. And the kid says to him, there are a lot of powerful people who believe things that aren't true. Things like one culture is as good as another or there's no such thing as good and evil. You only have to think about those statements for two minutes to see that they can't possibly be true, but these powerful people think they should be true and they think they'll seem to be true if no one is allowed to say that they're not true. So they attack anyone who says that they're not true. They call him names, they demand apologies from him, they make his life a misery. So it's like the emperor's new clothes, but instead of clothes, it's the emperor's lies. And in an empire of lies, only a crazy man would speak the truth and crazy people do crazy things. The powerful people don't destroy the crazy people for saying that their false ideas are false. They destroy him for doing something crazy, but you have to be crazy to say their false ideas are false because if you do, they'll destroy you. So, so that is what I couldn't help thinking this about Donald Trump. You know, Donald Trump, the thing that people love about Donald Trump is that he just said the words that we were dying to hear, that we're being told we couldn't say. Islam is associated with terror. How hard is that? It was in front of everybody's eyes. And they were telling us there was virtue in lying about it, Not not just that we should lie about it, but that it was virtue, it was good to lie about it. People, criminals, were coming in from Mexico. We know that all Mexican people aren't criminals, that they're not criminals because they're Mexicans, but we know that people who break the law tend to be criminals, and when they broke into the country, some of these people were criminal people, and if you go into a California prison, a lot of these people are Hispanic, you know, and that's what was happening. And he said the thing that people didn't like. They didn't like their laws being violated. He just came out and said, he called Hillary a crook. You know, that was it. But in order to do that, in order to violate and remember, you know, again and again and again, the people saying this is the end of Trump's career. Oh, my gosh, this is the end. And we kept saying and people kept saying, no, this is what we like. We like this. I mean, it's the reason why he swept all those more stately statesmen, who were running against him away is because we recognize people recognize and I shouldn't say we because at that point I didn't but people recognize that this guy was a bull in a China shop of lies and all the China was lies and it was breaking it and people like that. But but it entails a certain kind of wild hair in the guy that I think, you know, sometimes sometimes is great and sometimes threatens what he's trying to do. And yesterday was just so dramatic. We were talking about this a little yesterday, it was part of what we were talking about that Trump. Learn stuff and he's learning how to be president. And part of being president is holding the Republican senators and congressmen's feet to the fire and saying to the people using the bully pulpit of the presidency to say to people, these guys promised you and promised you and promised you. And now they're not going to do it. And all they were trying to get is a vote to continue debate on health care in, in the Senate, to open debate on health care in the Senate. So John McCain, I mean, you can't make this stuff up. John McCain, who is in Arizona because he's got a brain tumor, right? And he's got this big, they had to take a blood clot out. So he's got this big scar on his face. He comes flying back to cast the vote for a bill he doesn't even like. He says he will not vote for it as it is, but he comes flying back. And essentially he makes this speech and talk about Shakespeare, right? The guy, The Senate, the institution of Congress was leveled by Barack Obama, by polarizing the country the way obama did the guy was supposed to bring the country together by making putting the republicans in a position where he would not negotiate with them and he would negotiate and then pull the rug out from under their feet the only thing they could do was oppose him and now the democrats are fighting back you know turn around his fair play now all the democrats will do is obstruct and oppose there's no conversation between what used to be this collegial body the the people people the partisans the people on the far left and the far right always would get furious at the Senate because they would negotiate. They would say, you're, saying, you're re- reaching across the aisle, you're negotiating with the enemy, you know. and that. But that was the collegial Senate. That's how they got things done. That's gone. So here is this 80-year-old McCain standing in the ruin of this institution that he loved. And it's leveled. And it's just, if you picture it, it's really just like, you know, pillars lying on their side and dust everywhere. Whole, you know, light coming in through the broken ceiling. And he makes this speech, this sad speech, where he calls on them to be the senate that he knew again so here let's let's play a couple of clips of this because it really was something let's start with uh, clip number six
1: our system doesn't depend on our nobility it accounts for our imperfections and gives us an order to our individual strivings that has helped make ours the most powerful and prosperous society on earth it is our responsibility to preserve that and even when it requires us to do something less satisfying than winning, even when we must give a little to get a little, even when our efforts manage just three yards in a cloud of dust while critics on both sides denounce us for timidity, for our failure to triumph. I hope we can again rely on humility, on our need to cooperate, on our dependence on each other, to learn how to trust each other again And by so doing better serve the people who elected us stop listening to the bombastic loudmouths on the radio and television and the internet to hell with them they don't want anything done for the public good our incapacity is their livelihood
0: so the thing is, I find so touching about this. And listen, I have plenty of you know problems with John McCain. He has always genuinely annoyed me as a politician. But I, I say this—it's—it's it's rude to say it. I know we're supposed to say he's fighting cancer. He's—he's probably dying. You know, he's probably dying. He's a tough guy. He knows the score. He knows that like like he's up against something where he's got something. Like I said, the survival rates for this—the kind of brain cancer he has—are. Are, in single digits he's in you know he's an old man he know, he knows what he's looking at he's not like sitting there thinking oh this is you know this is the best time of my life the best is yet to come he knows what he's doing this is his valedictory he came to say goodbye to the to the senate and it's really really moving now part of what's moving about it is is that he's speaking to an institution that no longer exists it's not that the senate doesn't exist but the senate that he talked about the news media that he talks about you know people on the right obviously he's striking out at uh, Trump with the lines about winning and if you can't watch if you're just listening he makes little quote you know scare quotes in the air talking about winning it's, we have to be beyond winning and all this stuff but when he talks about the idiots on the radio of course you immediately go to the right wing you immediately think of Rush and Mark Levin and you know all, all of us I mean a whole, the whole family of right wing commentators who are were, you know Rush's children as it were but what he doesn't understand is, is that the front page of the New York Times is exactly the same. They're fighting back against the front page of the New York Times, which is just as biased. Look. I- I do not pretend when you come here, you are getting an objective version of the news. You're getting my version of the news. Rush does not pretend that he is giving you all the news that's fit to print. He is giving you the Rush Limbaugh version of the news. Same with Sean Hannity. The New York Times lies. They pretend that their front page is all the news that's fit to print. They say it right there, but it is just as biased as Rush, just as biased as Hannity, and worse, because those guys are honestly giving you their opinion and the times is pretending it's the news so that's what's you know it's out of date to sit and strike out at rush to sit and strike out at sean or any of these guys you know that when you have a new you know McCain has always played to the New York Times. He's always wanted the New York Times to like him. So that landscape that he's talking about, he's standing in the ruin of it and making this farewell speech to an institution that's gone. And when he he calls out for civility, you know, it is just it's so touching because I'm sure they're all moved to hear about this. (laughs) But it's just not going to happen because Chuck Schumer is sitting on the other side and he's not going to do one damn thing to help, you know, uh, to help Trump get his agenda moving. So here's McCain's call for civility.
1: Let's trust each other. Let's return to regular order. We've been spinning our wheels on too many important issues because we keep trying to find a way to win without help from across the aisle. That's an approach that's been employed by both sides, mandating legislation from the top down without any support from the other side with all the parliamentary maneuvers that requires. We're getting nothing done, my friends. We're getting nothing done. And all we've really done this year is confirm Neil Gorsuch to the Supreme Court. Our healthcare insurance system is a mess. We all know it those who support Obamacare and those who oppose it. Something has to be done. We Republicans have looked for a way to end it and replace it with something else without paying a terrible political price. We haven't found it yet. And I'm not sure we will. All we've managed to do is make more popular a policy that wasn't very popular when we started trying to get rid
0: of it. So he comes this ailing, you know, probably dying senator, comes to make this valedictory speech, flies in, and through hook and by crook, they get together 50 votes, and they get this thing out there. And of course, Mike Pence casts the deciding vote. I mean, you can't, like I said, you can't make this stuff up. It's a tremendous, even though later on in the day, they voted down, they lost a, a vote, they never expected to win it on a repeal and replace. But But even so, this is a tremendous victory for Trump, a tremendous, uh, you know, uh, confirmation of what I was saying, that he is learning how to do this president thing, that this is the important thing that he does. It's not about, you know, tweeting. It's not about anything like that. But this is the important stuff he does. He wins. Trump wins. And then and then, like a character in Shakespeare, his character flaws threaten his own victory. We'll talk about that in a minute, but I got to say goodbye to Facebook and YouTube where you've been watching video for free. You can come over to thedailywire.com and hear the rest of the show. And for a lousy 10 bucks a month, you can just watch the whole show and you don't have to be cast out like this into the exterior darkness where there's great weeping and gnashing of teeth. Come over to thedailywire.com. All right. The mailbag is still to come. I should have said that before we signed off, but I forgot. The mailbag is still to come. All your questions answered. Answers guaranteed correct. And, and oh, yeah, oh, that's right. I, I knew you were trying to tell me something you know? and <laughs> I never listened to you. That's why uh, I just try to ignore him and hope that he'll just stop saying things. But but in fact, we're going to try and take questions live. If you're there and you want to send in some questions live, we will do our best to see if our new technology can handle this without exploding. If you just see a large flash of light, you've killed us all. Uh, but, but we'll try. We do have questions that were sent in already, but we'll also take extra questions. So what is Trump doing while well, he scores this victory? He shows, yes, I can be president, I can move you know, this forward. It's a long shot that this healthcare thing will actually get passed, but at least it's still in there. Look, two days ago, everybody was saying it's dead, it's gone, it's finished. You know, Trump pushed it through, and I think you have to just, it, the credit, lies very largely with him obviously all the mitch mcconnell and all that you know they had a lot to do with it but it was trump pushing them through that's how you be president and what is he doing he is doing this thing with jeff sessions that is just embarrassing i mean he's obviously has lost his temper over the fact that his family jared kushner has been pulled into this nonsense russian probe and again i don't blame him but we all lose our temper you know we have to be a big boy. he's president of the United States. It's not the same as when he was um, as when he was a candidate you know he these these people if he if he fires Jeff sessions, or it forces Jeff Sessions to resign. And everybody's saying he's gonna resign. I'm not sure I believe that. But if that happens, what do you think is gonna happen? What do you think is going to happen if he fires Jeff Sessions? Nobody worth his salt is going to wanna to be in that position. Rudy Giuliani, maybe. Giuliani's 70 years old. He's making a lot of money. He's done the stuff that's gonna make him a great man. He doesn't really wanna be involved in this anymore. Maybe he'd do it, maybe. But is he, is he gonna get confirmed? I don't know. Rex Tillerson has been kind of making noises. There have been rumors that he was going to quit. He says, no, he's just taking a break. But obviously, working for Trump is not a picnic. It's not a picnic. He's got a great staff, a great cabinet that he appointed. If they start to abandon ship, this presidency will go down. And they will. These are these are big guys. These are not guys who are going to be pushed around by Donald Trump or anybody else. Rex Tillerson doesn't give a rat what Donald Trump does. If he's having a bad time, if he feels he can't get work done, he's going to leave. So here is Trump uh, attacking He's been attacking and attacking uh, Sessions on the fact that he recused himself from the Russian investigation and Sessions did that because he forgot that he had, in fact, had a meeting with the Russian ambassador, you know, obviously had nothing to do with any of this, but he forgot it and then he has said, OK, well, now that I've uh, made a mistake under oath, I'm going to have to recuse myself. So here is Trump attacking him for that in a press conference. But I am
2: disappointed in the attorney general. Uh, He should not have recused himself, almost immediately after he took office. And if he was going to recuse himself, he should have told me prior to taking office, and I would have quite simply picked somebody else. Uh, So I think that's a bad thing, not for the president, but for the presidency. I think it's unfair to the, and uh, that's the way I feel.
0: You know, he said this thing to, in an interview with the Wall Street Journal. I mean, everybody points out that Jeff Sessions was in early. Trump he signed on to the campaign early. He was faithful to Trump when Trump got in trouble with that, you know, uh, entertainment type tape, whatever it was, where he talked about grabbing women. You know, Sessions stood up for him, stayed in there, formed a lot of his policy. Trump said this in an interview with the Wall Street Journal. He said, you know, he said Sessions was senator from Alabama. I had 40,000 people at a rally in Alabama. Sessions looks at 40,000 people and he probably says, what do I have to lose? And he endorsed me. So it's not like a great loyal thing about the endorsement. I'm very disappointed in Jeff Sessions. That's a crappy thing to say. You know, it is, I mean, it's typical of Trump. It is typical of his of nasty Trump when Trump is being nasty. But this is a guy who did support him. This is not the opposition. This is not going after Hillary. And this is the other thing. he, You know, he says he after saying he didn't want to go after Hillary, which would not be a good idea i know a lot of people want to see hillary in prison not a happy thing for a democracy to have its candidates go to prison whether you think it's she deserves it or not i think she does deserve it i think she does deserve it. i don't want to see her go to prison and and now he's attacking sessions for not cracking down on the leaks which by the way sessions says he's doing you know sessions is doing a lot of this stuff he just you know the ag doesn't always announce what he's doing but now he has to announce it so that trump can hear it it's being done but here he is attacking the leaks
2: I want the Attorney General to be much tougher on the leaks from intelligence agencies, which are leaking like rarely have they ever leaked before at a very important level. These are intelligence agencies. We cannot have that happen. Uh, You know many of my views in addition to that, but I think that's one of the very important things that they have to get on with. Uh, I told you before I'm very disappointed, Attorney General, uh, but we will see what happens time will tell time will tell
0: so i just i just find this heartbreaking you know that that as he is getting better at his job he is also you know at like a shakespeare character he is also you know um cannot there's things that he can't change about himself and that he doesn't really realize that this is not the way the president should treat the attorney general and again Forget about whether you think he's right or not. Forget about whether you think Sessions is good, doing a good job or not. This is not what he should be focusing. He shouldn't be distracting the the Senate. He shouldn't be giving the Senate an excuse not to vote on the health care bill. The Senate says, oh, there's so much drama in the White House. We can't focus. You know, these guys, these guys, it's natural for them not to want to take political chances. They've, he's got to be hurting them every minute, not talking about this stuff. What really touches me about this also is that Trump was in Ohio. And did this rally in Ohio. And, you know, it was the usual Trump stuff. I'm not going to play cuts from that. But I have to read this piece from Selena Zito at the New York Post who did something that none of these reporters ever do. She went to Ohio. You know, she actually said, is there a place between New York and LA? I thought it was just a black hole. She is reporting on the people turning out for this event. She says the town was on fire. By one in the afternoon on Tuesday, every main thoroughfare downtown was filled with happy people heading toward the Caffelli Center. Folks dressed in red, white, and blue crisscrossed the main grids as vendors sold Make America Great Again ball caps, American flags, and bottles of water. Thousands had filled the gravel parking lot to wait until the doors opened at four, license plates revealing they had traveled from as far as Indiana, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and West Virginia. She starts to interview some of these people. I am very pre- uh, happy, he talks to Donald Scowron, a retired Youngstown police officer who drove his green pickup truck up and down Champion Street with a wooden Trump-Pence sign straddling the bed of the truck. He says, I am very happy with the president's performance so far. He has set the exact tone I was looking for, although I'll be honest, I wish he didn't tweet all of the time, but that is hardly anything to complain about. Scourin said he is encouraged by reading about Trump's constant meetings with industry leaders as well as union and trade members. We have a president. This is the talking again. We have a president invested in trying to navigate between the people who create jobs and the men and women doing the jobs and how repealing regulations help both 6 months after Donald Trump was inaugurated as 45th president he received a hero's welcome on in this town the advance ticket requests of over 20,000 had exceeded the 6,000 seat capacity of this i mean this is this is amazing okay this is after 8 years of listening to you know i i'm going to tell you which mentally ill child should use which bathroom in your little neighborhood okay so here is Dave Torrance, another interview, he's black. He says he gets his fair share of criticism from folks when they find out whom he supports. He got more when he told them he was driving to see Trump in person at a rally. The man says, they don't understand why I think he is doing okay. They don't think because I am black that I should support him. I am polite about it, but I tell them that politics isn't about color. It's about accomplishments, and I think Trump is doing the right thing things he finds them refreshing he says i don't care for the hatred directed towards him or the people who supported him there have been plenty of presidents i did not vote for but i always want them to be successful so that our country is successful it's the voice of america you're listening to and they're waiting for this they're they sick and tired of the, the russian garbage they're sick and tired of the hatred he's getting from the press and they love that this guy is their voice he is speaking for them you know he went to this uh, boy scout jamboree thing and gave this speech and it was <laughs> you know the place was rocking the place was rocking so the left wing press is going oh it's like a Nazi youth rally so now you have the left wing calling the Boy Scouts the Nazi youth I mean he's got these guys trolled into insanity he's got them trolled into insanity if he can keep doing stuff like that he'll win every state in the union except for New York and California you know I mean he, he has it in his hands and he may just blow it by alienating the people who are his allies the guys like Sessions The guy like Tillerson, you know, the people who he's appointed who were such great appointments. If he alienates them, if he humiliates them, if he treats them like underlings who he can slap around, he will blow this presidency up right on the border of success. It's an incredible drama. It's incredibly entertaining to watch. I hope he succeeds. I hope he pulls himself together. But it is something. It is something else. I cannot remember the last time just governing in a free country was this dramatic. The mailbag. (laughs) <laughs> there, there she is yeah. <laughs> all right um let's see from uh Rafe Adler, Big King Claven. I see. the... It should be Old King Claven. I see the world as containing absolute good and evil, but I don't understand the view that good is in charge. Why isn't the universe a battle between good and evil? Truth being a neutral, absolute power instead of an all-powerful and good God. Wow, that is. I think uh, Manichaeism. I think that's called, and it is a uh, a heresy. And so I'm sorry, Rafe. We have to burn you at the stake. Uh, Uh, That is that's part of the uh, mailbag I didn't include, you know, that we do solve your problems, but if you commit heresy, we have to kill you. So, you know, it's it's risky. All right. I will. It it is the answer to that question is, of course, complicated, and I'm probably not the best. Per, I mean, I'm a thriller writer. I'm not a theologian. I'm not a philosopher. I'm just a barefoot teller of tales. But I will try and answer this question. You know, first, let me say this. When we talk about religion nowadays, it's very uh, offensive when they say, oh, you know, to the left, politics is a religion. Global warming, climate change is a religion. What we mean by that is it's irrational. Our religion, the Christian religion, and I would say this is true of the Jewish religion, is not irrational at all. Our faith is faith that our logic will be true that our logic that human logic can describe the world so much of this stuff has been reasoned out by people over centuries and our faith is that just because we can't see it it doesn't mean that our logic doesn't hold so it's reasonable the world can't be divided the manichean If that's if I'm right, if that's what it's called, um, heresy cannot be true. The world cannot be divided equally between good and evil because of what good is, because of the nature of the definition of the word good and the definition of the word evil. Good is in everything is the highest attainment of the essence of something so the highest attainment of the essence of what it means to be a man is to unite with god that would be his purpose his cause his good that would be his good take take morality out of it for just a minute just take take a circle Let's say everybody in this room draws a circle. Jess draws her probably excellent and attractive circle. Austin draws <laughs> you know, something we can barely recognize as a circle. I draw a circle, they're different colors and all this stuff. None of them is the perfect circle. Even if my computer draws a circle, it will not be a perfect circle. There'll be something wrong with it. But we all know there is a perfect circle. We have it in our heads. We all know these, no matter how badly we draw those circles, we all know they're supposed to be circles. And we all know that they are part of what Plato would call this form of a perfect circle. That is the good. It is trying to attain the good. There, there is a good circle. These circles get good as they attain that perfection. There is no worst circle. There only is a circle that doesn't exist. Right? I mean, if, if it has some form close to a circle, it has some good in it. Okay. That is the way you have to think about these things. Okay. So. Being itself, existence itself is like that. The ultimate existence, the ultimate existence is the good, right? That is what it is, the fulfillment of the good. There is no, the highest being, the highest being is the good being, not just because he's the highest, but because it is the nature of goodness to be the f- absolute fulfillment of being. Okay, I hope I'm making, does this, am I making sense? Okay, good. There is no absolute evil person. Even Satan, even Satan is a fallen angel. He is a broken good thing. Even Satan, in, like if you read Paradise Lost, he suffers in his evil because there's still something in him that knows the good. There is nothing, and then there is bad, and then going up the level to good. And that's why the Manichaean heresy is wrong and that's why we're not in a you know truth is not just um empty it is there is a good an ultimate good and that ultimate good is the ultimate being and the ultimate being is the ultimate intelligence and that is god that's my answer i hope that made sense that's like it's, it's, i feel like you know i feel like what we have i'll bring a philosopher on in a few weeks and uh, we'll we'll talk to him about it but uh, that's that's as, as good as i can do all right um Supreme Overlord Clavin, as a Christian, I often think of Ephesians 4.1, where Paul urges followers of Christ to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Though I accept my salvation through Christ, I often struggle with what it means to be a good person and live a worthy life. What are your thoughts on this? Thanks for all you do, Luke. Uh, We all do, of course. We all struggle with not only knowing the good, but doing the good once we know it. Uh, Paul himself struggled with it and said the good that he wanted to do, he didn't do, and the bad that he didn't want to do, he did do. That's the nature of being a sinful creature just try and remember this. The word, the name Satan, if I'm getting this right, means accuser. It is the accuser. He is the accuser. Satan is the one who is in your head when you are tormenting yourself with guilt. Guilt is like pain. It's there for a purpose. It's there to let you know that something is wrong. So fix it. You cut yourself, right? And you'll say, oh, that hurt. What's wrong? Oh, I've cut my finger. You don't then sit there and say, "Ooh, the pain. Ah, the pain. I think I'll just sit here and think about the pain. I'll live with the pain. You fix your finger, right? You don't, think, you don't like you hold yourself accountable to the pain. You don't live with the pain forever. Guilt is the same way. You do something wrong, you fix it. You try and do your best to not do it again. That's what you do. That voice that torments you over this, that torments you about your your flaws, the things that you can't fix in yourself. That voice is not God's voice. That is not God's voice. That is the voice of your accuser. He does that to keep you from turning toward the love and forgiveness that God is offering you. So that is what I would say. We all struggle to do right. We all struggle. To know the right, but you know that voice that tangles you up in guilt, that tangle it keeps you from proceeding past your guilt or love and forgiveness. That is not God's voice, and it's not your voice either. All right, you you got an actual live question.
2: I do have a live. All right, let's hear it. Uh, From
0: Jeremiah. All right. O'Clavin, live forever. (laughs) I appreciate it. Thank you. Um, We know that you're a gamer. Yep. Have you ever tried an escape room? Ah, you know, first of all, I've only recently, about a month or maybe two months ago, I heard of about escape rooms. Now, I'm a little bit torn about this, okay? I, I will tell you why. I love games and I love escape. Right, I, I think escape movies are some of my favorite movies. Like The Great Escape, one of my favorite movies. I love anything where I, I write these stories. I mean, they write these stories where these guys get in impossible situations. Can they get out? And I always love that Hitchcock scene where the guy is surrounded in a theater, and then he shouts fire, and everybody panics, and that's how he gets past you know every door and all this stuff. Love that stuff. I, I, I don't. When I'm playing games, I don't like intense pressure. I mean, I live, I live with a lot of pressure, which I accept, and I'm pretty good under pressure actually, but I don't like it in, as, when I'm playing, you know, and sometimes even when we play party games and things get too competitive, I think like, do I need this? You know, <laughs> I, mean, I have a lot of competition and pressure in my life. So I'm, I'm a little bit torn about it. I'm not actually sure I want to do it. I'm not sure I'd have as, as much fun, but I kind of love the idea of it. And I've, yeah. played, I've played the iPad games. Uh, where, that have those escape things and and I have enjoyed them. So I may do it yet, it does sound kind of fun, I gotta admit. Uh, all right, let's do one more and then we'll move on to stuff I like. Um, from Max, Dear Mr. Claven, I am an aspiring novelist who is also a religious conservative. I want to give up. No, I'm <laughs> I want to and inevitably do incorporate themes which correspond with my beliefs into my writing. My question is, since popular art has become a vehicle for the delivery of leftist ideology, can novels with more right wing ideas and messages still sell? Thanks, Max. Um, first of all, yes, there's a huge market for Christian novels. I mean, the Christian literature is a big deal and there are Christian publishers. they are fewer because they're all now owned by HarperCollins. I mean, when I started with Thomas Nelson writing novels for them, they were like this wonderful little company. There's still many, many wonderful people there, but now they're part of this big HarperCollins uh, corporation. But, you know, the novel business is a tough business. I, I love it. I love doing it. I love being in it. But it is a tough business. And obviously, if you are in keeping with the left wing, um, the left wing prejudices of the mainstream publishing industry, you will have a way forward. But there's still it is better than TV and better, much better than the movies. There's still many different voices there that you can get into. So, yeah, I would not I would not give up on that account. I mean, obviously, you don't want to be preachy. You don't want to be like selling this stuff. You want to tell a story and let the story tell it's tell put your have your values in it uh, but that but that is not a reason not to do it i mean it's just it's a tough business it is a tough business and that will maybe add to the toughness but like it still can be done all right let's move on to stuff i like um and you know i i, I want to do instead of just recommending stuff this week i really did get off in this thought yesterday we we're talking about borges and talking about this idea that we're in a crisis of ideas and conservatism has to, even if we come back into the in the future with a new conservatism, it is going to be different simply because of the time that it's in. It's not going to be 1950s. The 1950s are not coming back. Nothing comes back. Everything changes. The change continues all the time. Edmund Burke talked about this, that you want to change in keeping with your traditions. You want to change in keeping with the things that are essential, essentially and always true. But we have deviated from the path. There's no question about it. And what I want to just point out is, is this deviation has been going on for centuries. And there are one of two ways this can go. The the, uh, the reason I'm, I'm returning to something I used to talk about when the show began, I guess it's almost two years now since the show began in Jeremy Boring, the God King of the Daily Wire. We started in his pool house, uh, broadcasting out of his pool house. Now we have these fabulous studios and all this, but we started just doing it with a mic in his uh, in his pool house and at that time I talked a lot about Hamlet and Hamlet is is really interesting. I believe that Hamlet is Shakespeare's reaction to the reformation. Always people always say that Shakespeare was not a religious writer. I don't believe that at all. I've done whole shows about how I think he was a religious writer. But it doesn't make any sense that a writer of Shakespeare's genius was living during the time of this Reformation where people were being burned at the stake for their beliefs and people were being killed and arrested for reading the Bible in their la- native language and stuff like that. It doesn't make sense that he wouldn't write about that, that wouldn't inform the way he thinks. And one of the things, Hamlet is the story of a man, it's, it's based on an, another play, a play called Hamlet, in which a guy is told. Uh, that his father's ghost comes and says I was murdered you have to avenge my murder and Hamlet goes and avenges his murder we don't have that play but we know that's what it was about Shakespeare writes a play in which the ghost comes to Hamlet and says you have to avenge my murder and, and Hamlet goes well how do I know that this is really a ghost how do I know that this was really murder? how do I know that this was I'm supposed to... he can't make up his mind well why what happened and one of the things about Hamlet is he goes to school in Wittenberg in Germany even though the play takes place before the reformation takes place in some dark you know backward time shakespeare never cared about that he never cared about anachronism and he went to he goes to school in wittenberg which is where the reformation began it's where martin luther not nailed his 95 theses up on the cathedral door so i believe that this is shakespeare saying this play is about what happens when the monopoly on truth that is owned by the church when the authority of absolute truth that we had in the church disappears. What happens? How do you make up your mind? How do you know it's true? Now you're just living out of your own head. How can you know where the truth lies? And in this famous speech his Mel Gibson in a great movie, he cut, the, he cut a four hour play down to an hour and a half and it really works and it's one of the best Hamlet's performances I've ever seen. Uh, Mel Gibson talks about the fact that his mood changes everything the very nature of the world seems to change with his mood so here's this speech
3: i have of late but wherefore i know not lost all my mirth forgone all custom of exercises and indeed it goes so heavily with my disposition that this goodly frame the earth seems to me a sterile promontory This most excellent canopy, the air, look you. This brave, o'erhanging firmament. This majestical roof, fretted with golden fire. Why, it appeareth nothing to me, but a foul and pestilent congregation of vapors. What a piece of work is a man. How noble in reason, how infinite in faculties, in form and moving, how express and admirable. In action, how like an angel. In apprehension, how like a god. The beauty of the world, the paragon of animals. And yet to me, what is this quintessence of dust? Man delights not me, no. No woman neither, though by your smiling, you seem to say so.
0: <laughs> Shakespeare always throws in a dirty joke. If he can get it. a dirty joke. So he says man likes not me and the guy laughs saying, Yes, but you like women, don't you, you know? So <laughs> And Hamlet is saying that the entire world, the sky, the world, mankind himself seems to be at the mercy, the very nature of him seems to be at the mercy of his moods. And when he's depressed, suddenly man who seems to be an angel looks like nothing but dust. That's not quite what that statement means, but for now, that's fine. You know, the, the sky is no longer beautiful. The earth is no longer beautiful. How then do you know the truth? How then do you know what's right and wrong? How then do you know that your, what you think is right is not just your anger? If we don't have a church that is going to tell us these things, how do you know? And this this idea that Shakespeare saw coming from so far away in Hamlet, there are hints of postmodernism. There's hints of, uh, you know, deconstructionism, all kinds of things. He just saw into the future, really all the future, he saw everything that was going to happen, he reasoned it out, and that's what I believe the play is about, and that's why I think it's so great. And at the same time this was happening, a scientific revolution started to take place. And in that scientific revolution, man and his man's perceptions began to be disproved. It seemed like the earth stood still or that the earth was at the center of things. It seemed like the sun moved around the earth. Turned out, nope, You know, it was the earth moving around the sun. That was the Copernican revolution. You know, the, That was why, the, well, Galileo and the church got into it over this. That's not actually entirely why, but it doesn't matter. The thing is, it was changing where man was. The only truth that you could count on was the truth that you could measure, was science's truth. And there, the idea was basically that man's perceptions now were unreliable, and the only real truth was physical truth, measurable truth, the distances between things. And the soul got relegated to this kind of ghostly place. Uh, you know, this was um, Des- Descartes, it was Descartes who said, this, who talked about basically the soul, he turned the soul into A ghost in the machine. Those are not Descartes words, but what somebody said. And that's what we've been fighting about. We fight about whether there's a ghost in the machine. Of course, there's not a ghost in the machine. People before the scientific revolution did not think that's what the soul was. They thought the soul was the nature of being alive. It was the very fact of what you were when you were alive. And so you could have a soul, but it didn't have to be some ghostly thing. Anyway. The scientific revolution was so successful that this idea took hold even though it makes no sense. And what I have been arguing is that the sense that it doesn't make is now coming to an end. The fact that we are now saying things, people are sitting there going, well, we don't really exist. We have no no self. We have no free will. We have, you know, we're going to soon, we're going to learn every piece of machinery that makes every decision for us. All these things are untrue and they are going to be disproved, but they are being disproved as we speak. The very nature of reality, the very nature of reality has suddenly become connected to the observer in quantum physics and things. The logic of the scientific revolution that took place back in Shakespeare's time is falling apart. And the logic of there not being a moral reality, a spiritual reality is also, I believe, falling apart. But as we rediscover that reality, I do not believe we're going to go back to 13th, 14th, 15th century theology. I don't believe that's going to happen. But happen. And what we have to be talking about is what is just what we were talking about earlier on. What is the good of man in the modern world? What does sin look like in the modern world? What is right and wrong? And what is and who is going to decide? And how can we decide? And how does the reason of guys like Aristotle and Thomas Aquinas how does it apply to the new world? I'll talk about this a little bit more tomorrow. I hope if we get to it, we have a guest tomorrow. Oh, we have a priest on tomorrow. Great. We have we have uh, Patrick um, uh, Coffin is that is I want to say Coffin is that his name? Let me just make sure. It is uh, Patrick Coffin. Yeah, the priest. We'll talk to him about sex. We'll talk to him about a lot of this stuff. I'm Andrew Claven. This is the Andrew Clavin Show. We'll be back again tomorrow. Either.